please join us for the fifth episode of Bewitched. Help, help, don't save me. Bewitched, bothered and bewildered, am I? Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, our podcast about magical sitcoms of the 1960s. I'm Frank. And I'm Molly. And you're joining us for the fifth episode of Bewitched. Help, help, don't save me. But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. Darren struggles for days to create a new campaign for one of McMahon and Tate's most prestigious clients, Caldwell Soup. Samantha makes several clever suggestions, but Darren's pride leads him to suspect her of using witchcraft. Darren refuses to use Samantha's ideas, even at the risk of losing a client. Endora is pleased by the ensuing quarrel between Darren and Samantha, hoping that Sam will finally see Darren for what he is and leave him for good. Does she see it, Frank? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I think she does see it. Okay, wait, are we, are we launching straight into it? <laughs> Excellent. First, Endora is there wondering why Samantha is up burning the midnight oil. Is she drinking coffee in the middle of the night? Well, it's 4 a.m. in the morning. We're seeing Samantha in her peignoir. Is it her, her, yes. her, her peignoir? Yes. <laughs> The beautiful peignoir, which we must discuss in detail in a moment, but go ahead. She is looking at the clock on her oven range, and the clock says that it is 4 a.m. It's really stylish. I'm used to there only being like a timer on a range, not a, an actual clock face. Yeah, their range is really something special in my mid-century modern kind of kitsch collectibles. You just don't see anything like that anymore. Those glass doors for the ovens. Can you imagine just putting a roast in there? I mean, (laughs) why don't they make that now? I think that's so cool. It is really cool. A range like up above your cooktop. I suppose it created all kinds of... I'm sure it leaked a lot of heat. Engineering and design problems. Yeah, because if you had the burners going on real hot, don't they melt the bottom of the... (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't make sense, but it's beautiful to look at. gorgeous. Uh, So it's 4 a.m., and we hear Endora chuckling in the background, and then she suddenly appears. (laughs) Good morning, darling. Or should I be more specific and say, uh, a good four o'clock in the morning? What are you doing up so early? I'm not up early. I'm up late, one party after another. I haven't been to bed yet. And neither have you, apparently. Typical, typical, typical. Of what? Of the neglected housewife? Drinking coffee? Eaten alive by suspicion? The husband out to the wee small hours of the morning doing whatever it is he's doing. <laughs> Darren's working in the study. You're joking. It's always about cheating with Endora. Yes. That's her go-to, is that Darren is cheating. 
Samantha patiently explains that he has been up until the wee hours every night working on an ad campaign. Oh, well, lust is lust, I suppose. Whether it's for women or money, it's all the same. It has nothing to do with lust. He's creating a new campaign called Well Soup. Which is a stand-in for Campbell Soup. So can I tell you a personal detail? Yes, please. My uncle, when I was a kid, worked for Campbell Soup. Is that right? My aunt and uncle, they moved from place to place because he was an executive at Campbell Soup. It was always fun to visit them because we would go there and we would get like Campbell's Soup stuff, you know, like stuff. Swag? Yeah, swag. Campbell's Soup swag. (laughs) We got it every year while he was working for Campbell's Soup. And so we always enjoyed going there to get the Campbell's Soup swag. Ambition. Thoroughly immoral and foolishly mortal. So when I was young, I had a Campbell's Soup, the little girl doll with a skirt, the kind of weird looking cupie doll looking Campbell's Soup doll. And Oh, I don't know if I know what that is. Oh, yeah. Look up those Campbell's Soup kids. Oh, wait. Were they cherubic children? Was it more than one? Was it a boy and a girl? Yeah, there was a boy and a girl. Oh, yeah. No, I do I only cared that. about the girl. <laughs> Right? But yeah. you probably like the boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were they were maybe a slight step removed from like the Gerber baby or Raggedy Ann and Andy. I remember the illustrations now. They're they're a little Rockwell esque. It was very exciting. We thought they were really fancy relatives. Darren's a very dedicated man. So was Caesar, and all I got him is a torn toga. <laughs> he was such a nice man too. Samantha just dismisses her. Doesn't she? She just says, get the hell out of here. (laughs) In some, you know, in a gesture. And Dora goes away. Right. But not before saying that basically she disrespects Darren for not focusing his energies on Samantha. And you can tell what's his name, that any man with a wife like you, who spends every night with a can of soup, must be even less than human. Can you imagine having a spouse that focused all their energies on you all the time? Oh, my God. That seems awful. So then Samantha goes into the study, the famous study, which seems to have a bathroom. I never knew that. Yeah, he has his own bathroom. The whole study is very nautical-themed. It's a very manly room. It's got wood paneling. There's several paintings of ships. There's like a chronometer. Very manly. Very, very manly. So I have a study in the new house, and uh, you can cut this out, but I have to bring this up, <laughs> that I have started a, in a nautical theme in my study. <laughs> it's got really? wood paneling, <laughs> and I have already two giant oil paintings of ocean scenes. That is ridiculously close to Darren's study. I wanted it to be kind of the steampunk room of my house. Cool. So not totally decorated yet, but it's got a lot of potential for that, but definitely nautical themed and paneling. You've been up all night. You'll get sick. I will not get sick. I am sick. Well, nothing's worth your killing yourself. I won't have this. Don't worry, sweetheart. I'll be fine. So Darren looks a mess. He's very disheveled. His shirt is untucked. His hair 
is really greasy. He's smoking a cigarette while he's pouring the last drops of coffee from a large kettle. What time is it? About 8.30. 8.30? I'll miss the train. Excuse me, honey. I have to take a shower. That hair. It's Ugh. got a lot of brill cream in it. They still sell it. It's kind of hard to find. I've seen it, but I've obviously never used it. Have you used it? I've used it. It's a really old-fashioned hair product that has no hold. Basically, you've got to use a ton of it. And it smells really nice. It smells like baby powder. What it is more than anything else, it's kind of like a leave-in conditioner. So to get the really glossy look that Darren sports in every episode... You have to be putting a lot of that in your hair. You basically have to soak your hair in brill cream and constantly be combing it because it doesn't hold its shape. It'll flatten your hair to your skull pretty easily, but it won't hold a form. As a woman, I've never wanted to flatten my hair to my skull. (laughs) It's a completely different aesthetic. Yes. Yes, indeed. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I can't hear a word you're saying. Is it different than Vaseline or? It's a cream and it has that lovely scent. And you get the impression when you use it that it's actually good for your hair. Most products that I grew up with in the 1970s and 80s were things that were full of alcohol that would dry your hair out or basically turn your hair into a magic shell. I think that's why I was exporting the Ronald Reagan for so many years was, you know, I was spraying and gluing and gooping everything into place. But once it was there, it was immovable. That's the opposite of the hair products from this time. So I'm like 10 years older than you in 1970s. We would just be throwing all those products away. Yeah. Letting ourselves go free and natural. (laughs) So you're more a product of the 80s where you had to groom it up again. Indeed. How else could we look like Ronnie? I always thought that I looked like uh, Ricky Ricardo. Well, I'm sure you probably did. Yeah. In my heyday. Competition. At one time, Caldwell Soup was the only packaged soup on the market. Now there are 40 other brands. Uh, will you please get my uh, suit, the one that just came back from the cleaners, oh, and sure. a clean shirt, please, honey? Mm-hmm. I think those layouts are cute. Cute? Uninspired pedestrian trash, that's what they are. Here you are. Oh, thanks. Baby. I don't know what you're so worried about. I mean, after all, you are the best advertising man in the world. Thank you, honey. Up till today, I wouldn't argue the point. But in the advertising business, you're just as good as your last battle. She changes the layouts. Darren? Suppose you use some familiar expressions with double meanings. Here's a thing that occurred to me when I was watching her do this. She picks up a magic marker, and you can tell it's like one of those magic markers that really smell strong. Sure. Like it's the old-fashioned kind. And she just writes all over his work. (laughs) For instance, instead of a farmer, make this fellow a fisherman. Put in a background like the sea. And instead of chicken okra, make it bouillabaisse. You know, they didn't have computers like where you could file or save it differently. She just starts drawing all over his stuff. Yeah. 
it's kind of alarming. <laughs> yeah, as if they were worthless. Yeah, he's running late to work. <laughs> yeah. And he, she's just writing all over his... He may not like his ideas, but he has to be in a meeting in minutes with a client. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a shocker. And the billboard could read, A pretty kettle of fish. A pretty kettle of fish. A pretty kettle of fish. So the other thing that struck me as I was watching this was how like beleaguered he is over sitting around drawing cartoons. <laughs> and it just, maybe it's just like an old a working class ethic or something that I have. Like it just doesn't seem like real work. <laughs> I actually really like his sketches. They remind me of something. There was this really special illustrator who illustrated all of Beverly Cleary's books, Beezus and Ramona, Henry Huggins, Ramona and her father. His name was Louis Darling. He started illustrating around 1950. He illustrated all of her books until he died in 1970. And it's this really fast, simple, but beautifully stylized mid-century illustration that's somewhere between a cartoon, sort of advertising-type graphic, and a children's book illustration. It sits somewhere in there, and it always amazed me. I love those kinds of drawings. I do, too. I'm really fascinated by that. And you don't think of Darren as an artist. No, no. But he must be sitting there sketching these things, right? right? Yeah, exactly. I, I always thought that there, he had an art department. I always thought of him as an idea man, but clearly here we're meant to think that he actually not only is coming up with concepts, but he's actually illustrating and storyboarding them. Right. Now, for instance, in the poker game, uh -huh. maybe you could take out the lady, yeah. put the soup in the middle of the table, and this one could read... The right. The pot's right. Caldwell soup. Like it? It's perfect. <laughs> I still... I'm hard-pressed to think of this as work. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, it's work, but all he has to do is think up clever slogans. There's like, I don't know. I mean, I get that it's hard, because I'm sure if you told me to think up a clever slogan and gave me 24 hours to do it, I would just, I wouldn't come up with anything. I'd oh, you would do great. <laughs> or else why would he be so contemptuous of his job? <laughs> I am contemptuous of his job and quite contemptuous of it. Yeah, it's so funny. Now this one, instead of baseball hats and gloves, they could wear astronaut helmets and carry jet planes. And the billboard could read, the race for space yeah. at the table yeah. when you serve... Yeah. Caldwell soup. How about that? Incredible. You really like it? They're the answer to all the problems. These will cinch the account. So he's an ad man. This is his job. <laughs> he's been doing it for years. He's the best in the business. And she says, what if you use some familiar expressions with double meanings? Like, <laughs> like it's such a fresh idea. He's never thought of that. <laughs> it's, it's a little insulting. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought that was really funny. I mean, I, I'm sure I didn't get the joke when I was younger, but 
<laughs> that is ridiculous. I don't know if the writers even know that there is a joke there because there's, hey, we've got a laugh track, Bewitched is filmed before a live studio audience, and they're not laughing at that statement. What about puns in advertising? <laughs> How about rhyme? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how about wit? Yeah, wit. Oh, no. Have you ever tried some wit? It's revolutionary. (laughs) Thank you, honey. These will knock old man Caldwell right on his... Of course. Why didn't I see it before? It was you. You did it. Did what? Lay out a perfect solution of the whole campaign and hand it to me on a silver platter. I was only trying to help. Sam, I don't want that kind of help. I told you magic was out. But there was no magic in what I did. Well, what would you call it? I'd call it imagination. I do have some, you know. Come on now, Sam. I don't have that kind of an imagination, and I'm a professional. Well, Darren, all I tried to do was... I know what you tried to do, and from now on, keep your miracles to yourself. Darren is initially just amazed, and then the male ego starts creeping up. He quickly catches himself and angrily accuses Sam of using witchcraft to come up with her ideas. He's just walking out the door, and then he turns around. Funny, when he turns around, that brill cream hair just stands up in a really awkward and weird way. You should look at that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, just sort of little noodles of hair kind of fly. So gross. Uh, so he assumes that she can't be smart because she can't be. She's a girl. What an asshole. Totally an asshole. Even I don't have that kind of... It's such a bad line. And I'm I know. a professional. Oh, gross. When Darren storms out of his den, Sam looks crushed and close to tears. And I hate him so much for hurting her, for verbally abusing her. What does it boil down to? You can't be smarter than me. You can't be smarter than me. You must have cheated, is basically what he's saying. So Sam is stuck there, just sad and... Yeah. Upset in her peignoir in the study. <laughs> Molly, can you take a moment to describe the peignoir? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, she's always wearing these really discreet robes. But in this one, you can actually, through the robe, see the robe has um, a kind of a pleated look. So it's a sheer white pleated robe that underneath you can see the outline of a lacy kind of strapped nightgown, which is totally sexy, but very well covered up, unlike Jeannie, who would just show it all. (laughs) Giving it away. Yeah, and it's got a little tie right at the neck, so it's something she could untie and unfurl, is the thing about a peignoir. You can unfurl the robe and then reveal the sexy under nightgown. It really looks lovely. I would have loved playing dress up with that peignoir at my friend's house (laughs) if my friend's mom had had one. The next scene is Darren having a desperately unsuccessful lunch pitch with Mr. Caldwell of Caldwell Soup in a nice restaurant. Yeah, and you know what's funny about this is that there's kind of the implication that there would be something objectively good or objectively bad about these slogans. 
So can you imagine like going to a lunch and Darren has in his back pocket three little puns to throw at this guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have like a 40-minute lunch. And he doesn't even have the drawings with him. He's just going to throw out, what about this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just say one of those stupid slogans. Old Man Caldwell is an old fuddy-duddy in a three-piece suit and a mustache and thick black glasses. He looks very conservative. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't... What we're trying to do, Mr. Caldwell, is uh, update your campaign. Make it appeal more to the modern eye. Well, I'm not so sure I care to appeal to the modern eye. I like to think there's a good bit of old-fashioned romance left in the world. He is impossible to pin down. But I'm from the old school, you know what I mean? <laughs> what was good enough for Dad was good enough for me. <laughs> you get what I mean? <laughs> yes, sir, I do. That's why I thought that this particular layout of the old-fashioned kitchen, farm kitchen, would appeal to you. Now, note that caption. That caption. What was good enough for Dad is good enough for me. <laughs> no, it's no good. <laughs> Darren can do no right by him. Always a winner. Well, it does have something, but then again, it doesn't have anything else. You get what I mean? <laughs> uh, you see, when a group of men get together playing poker, they're not thinking of buying soup. Basically, Darren just can't get it right with this guy. I kind of think no one can get it right with this guy. Uh, how about this one? Specially designed for kid appeal. Kid appeal? Now, kids aren't interested in buying soup. We have to make them soup conscious. You'll never do it. As far as kids are concerned, what isn't bubblegum is medicine. <laughs> Darren begins having like a crazy inner monologue with himself about his uh, temptation to use Sam's ideas. He's not buying, buddy. He's not buying. Samantha's ideas could cinch the whole deal for you. Tell him, go ahead, tell him. And he mocks himself. You're losing him. In about 10 seconds, he's going to walk. And what have you proved? You've got pride and integrity, and you're stupid. He's really tortured this episode. I have less patience for it than I must have when I first watched it. <laughs> because I believe that Samantha just used her imagination, and I think that Darren has totally overblown this whole thing. Yeah. I'm just so uninterested and uninspired in his troubled conscience about using her mottos. You know, there are plenty of episodes of this show where he's actually faced with the idea of using magic to change his life. And in this case, it's really more about that he doesn't trust his wife when she says that she's not using magic, which is just annoying. So the next scene, Samantha's vacuuming. Suddenly she has a, uh, what is that called? A yoke. A yoke around her neck. And Dora has just popped a yoke around her neck, obviously to symbolize the terrible burden of her marriage. It's a fairly good visual metaphor for it. it. Is. <laughs> Samantha has no patience for it. She doesn't, but honestly, Endora nailed it. Yes. Good morning, darling. What's this supposed to mean? Well, you enjoy working like a horse. I thought you might enjoy looking like one. Oh, very funny. Now, why don't you go away? I've had about all the sarcasm I can take for one day. Oh, really? <laughs> Trouble in paradise, eh? 
Nothing you can't work out. Besides, it was all my fault. That's a wonderful attitude, Samantha. We haven't had a martyr in the family since the Salem trials. <laughs> what did you do to what's-his-name besides bruise his ego a bit? Isn't that enough? Yeah, because your male egos are just so important. They very much cater to Darren's ego, always. Nonsense. It isn't nonsense. He thought my ideas were witchcraft. Were they? Of course not, but he doesn't believe me. He never will. I told you it'd be impossible for you to be a help to him. He doesn't need my help. He did very well before I came along. And he'll do very well without you. I agree. Now, don't you put words in my mouth. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to clean this house with my own two hands. And then I'm going to start to fix dinner, and then I'm going to take a bath and put on the sexiest dress I own. And when my husband comes home, I'm going to have a drink with him and spend the rest of the evening trying to convince him that he was right and I was wrong, and from now on, I'm going to mind my own business. That is a terrible plan. That is crazy. To err is human to forgive divine. Exactly. When you're up to here in err, and you've changed into one huge lump of divine. <laughs> Don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> What does that mean? Up to here in air, anyway. And Dora says something. I don't totally get it. <laughs> there are a couple of things that I don't totally get, but we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of this episode. So next scene, Samantha is in a cocktail dress, lovely cocktail dress, white linen, and she is mixing her man a drink. Yeah, she is stirring martinis. So can I comment on the wallpaper mural behind her? Oh, have yeah. Have we talked about that No, before? we absolutely have not. So there's a buffet, which is critical in a mid-century dining room. I would say it's not my favorite buffet. And then they have these weird, like a giant candle with a metal candle holder underneath it. And then a giant metal bowl of fruit. But behind that, to set the scene for all those furnishings, is a wallpaper mural. It looks like a building with a dome on it and palm trees in front. I'm not even really sure. I mean, I want to say it's Roman, but in a way it doesn't really look Roman. Maybe it's the Riviera, because it looks like, like a hotel with a sidewalk cafe on the side of it and then palm trees. That might be the Riviera. The whole shebang looks like an altar to bad taste to me. Yeah, you know, we had a wallpaper mural in the Rollo Lane house when we first moved there. I think I remember that. An Italian city with like a oh, gazebo sure. and yeah. some dancing Italian people. And it was all blue and green. So the <laughs> colors were very much like this one. We allowed people to just draw on it for a couple of years until we could... Take it down. Of course, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. So Samantha, martini in hand, greets Darren and tries to mollify him. But Darren immediately and aggressively challenges her, saying that she influenced him subconsciously at his disastrous lunch meeting. And he denigrates her housework that she worked on all day. And he openly calls her a liar. <sighs> Why do we... Watch the show. No. <laughs> we love this show. We, we love do, this show, but do. Darren is so evil. Like, what is good about Darren? He's so awful. 
we've got to save our can we forgive Darren to the very end because I feel like this is a complicated one. With even by the end, he does a few more unforgivable things. So I don't even want to. I don't want to jump the gun. All right. I am quite annoyed at him at this point. Samantha turns invisible, packs up, and moves out. All the while, Darren is protesting for her to stay, or to continue their argument, really. Cut this out, Sam. I, I want to see you immediately. <laughs> Sam, you're my wife. I demand that you appear before me. <laughs> Now, didn't you hear what I said? <laughs> Sam, this isn't going to prove anything. You're merely being super sensitive and obstinate. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen to me. Don't do anything you may regret later on. <laughs> Why would she regret it? Her luggage floats past him. You're my wife. I demand you appear before me. <laughs> oh, God. Such a petty little tyrant. Samantha materializes outside of the house with Endora, and she changes into her own version of a witchy gown, sort of similar to what she wears in the opening animation sequence. Yes. I like her witchy gown very much. Can you describe it a little bit? So Samantha's is blue. It's got the laces. They both have laces across the bust. They're high empire waist, and then they lace up to the neckline. That seems to be their interpretation of a witchy gown. And they are made of the very similar material to the peignoir, mm-hmm. kind of a flowy, sheer nylon material that goes crazy in the wind. Does she have a high collar as well? They both have high collars, which is kind of unusual with that gown. I think you would have had a hard time finding a gown like that at that time. The thing that makes it really supernatural is that high collar that wouldn't have been on other gowns like that. Very dramatic, very witchy. Back to the office with Dumbo. <laughs> is, uh, is that what we're calling Larry Tate, or is that what we're calling Darren? That's what that's what Endora calls Darren. <laughs> Any D word, remember? <laughs> Dumbo. Durwood. Durwood. Daryl. Yes. So Darren is unshaven. His brill cream hair is sticking back, but some of the locks are falling out onto his forehead. He looks like Crispin Glover in Back to the Future. Yeah. Larry Tate is confusing what he should be more upset about, the loss of the Caldwell account or the fact that Darren's wife has left him. Yeah. Larry Tate, as usual, giving Darren the worst professional and personal advice. Although he does say that it'll all work out. This happens to all newlyweds. Darren is exhausted and finally gives in, and he surrenders Sam's ideas to Larry, who immediately loves them and believes that they'll save the Caldwell account. So Larry enthusiastically sells the campaign as clever, humorous, and tasteful. And surprise, surprise, old man Caldwell doesn't like it. It's gimmicky. Kimiki, remember ideas that have double meanings? <laughs> it has no old-fashioned romance or warmth or love or sex. But Darren is thrilled when he realizes that he's been wrong all along. 
you know, it's just so frustrating that it always has to be an external proof. Yeah, this happens often. And I don't think, you know, honestly, that the reverse is true. When Sam has a bunch of suspicions or when Endora tries to concoct suspicions for Samantha to have about Darren with some young ad executive or model, you know, she fights it all the way. She trusts him to the very end. It just, it's the double standard is really amazing and really prominent. It's true. We are going to be up for a lot of episodes where the focus is Darren being subjected to temptation. And what does Samantha make of that? She behaves nowhere near as badly as Darren does. Yeah, exactly. She has faith in him that he virtually never shows to her. He always is very quick to suspect her of lying. And she's completely the opposite. So Darren goes home and he can't find Sam and he apologizes to the wind for being willful, self-centered, and stupid. At that, she reappears. And forgives everything. Well, kind of. She asks him what changed his mind and Darren honestly digs himself even deeper at that moment, saying that her ideas were no good. Oh, God. Even in that moment of reconciliation, he still gets in several digs at her. Ugh. But she tut-tuts him and says she understands, and she says, it seems ridiculous that a can of soup could come between us. He does say, I'm sorry. He does? I just, yeah. He does say that. But what follows is absolutely, I think, the worst thing in the entire episode Darren takes her offhand remark about the can of soup coming between them as inspiration for a new campaign. Before he takes that idea, he grills her to double check that, in fact, she was not deliberately planting that idea in his head. And she insists, honestly, that she can't even remember what she just said. And he says, this is how it should be. She inspired him, and he found that inspiration and he has created an idea from it, but she is giving nothing to him directly. When I see this part, I don't like it. The person that I'm upset with is the writers. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm still not mad at her. She's, it's, it's like, a, you know, it's like politics. There's nothing, if, if something that she's doing seems a little like, oh, I don't know if I really like this then it's not about her. It's about that the writers took the wrong turn. So I'm frustrated with her, to be perfectly honest with you, when yeah. she basically says that she's only there to inspire her husband, and unconsciously at that. For her to give him anything would imply that she is superior to him, and we know that she's superior to him. But he can't be allowed to know that. Can I tell you a story? Yes, please. One of my college friends got married, and I went to the wedding with my boyfriend at the time. The wedding ceremony was put on by a minister who talked about the roles of the man and the woman in the relationship. The man was the leader, and the woman was, gosh, how did he put it? It's like the he called her a handmaiden. Oh, my God. 
what the hell wedding was this? It was so horrible, Frank. So he <laughs> told a story to illustrate the roles of the man and the woman. The story was this. The couch was getting very ragged and broken down, and they needed a new couch. But the wife, knowing that she shouldn't be so brash as to just demand a new couch, instead, each night when her husband went to bed, when he fell asleep, she would whisper in his ear, new couch, new couch, new couch. And after a while... The husband came up with the idea that they needed a new couch. And he said, and that is how marriage should be. And it was like I was in the audience. I I couldn't even believe what I was hearing. It was so awful. That is demented. Was this at a cult or a compound? (laughs) What the hell? It was so crazy. Are they still married? Are you still friends with them? No, I am not in touch with either of the people anymore, but the handmaiden and the influence, and this was in 19, I bet that was in 1990 or so, 1992. So at that time, it struck me as just completely unacceptable. Absolutely. But you can imagine now what it is reflecting is exactly what we're seeing here, that the wife's role is not a role where she has any direct power, but she has a very important role in influence. You got to think of what you're going to whisper in Stephen's ear today. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> I, I really want for nothing. I'm a very lucky guy. <laughs> Earlier in the episode, Endora said a bit of a bewildering thing to err as human, to forgive divine, which is fine. But then she kind of builds on that statement into a bizarre, I told you so. And at the end here, Sam kind of similarly has her own capper where she tells Endora off. But I don't know that I quite follow it. She says to Endora, What do you think he'd say if he knew you had given him a hint? He does know. I inspired it, and he found it. You heard him say so. You're splitting hairs, Samantha. No, not at all. That's the way it should be. You heard him say that, too. Anyway, all you can ask of anyone is to take a little and make it go a long, long way. Huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Dora looks completely unconvinced by this, and she disapparates. Like you, I should be angry at the writers because <laughs> right. I can't no, tell what they're we... trying to communicate with that statement. We know that Samantha is good no matter what, and if anything bad happens, the writers had a bad day. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> she really sells it, but it doesn't really make any sense. Gosh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I do not get it. So the final coda... We find Samantha and Darren in their convertible on what seems to be a seaside date. Sam is wearing that hideous JonBenet Ramsey coat again with the giant pink oh, pussy yeah. bow. The pussy bow. I had hoped that we'd seen the last of it, honestly. <laughs> they actually repeat outfits in this old sitcom. Normally, I, I don't think they ever would repeat an outfit 
in a modern day television show. It's true. I've already noticed as I've been doing our fashion blog for our Bewitched episodes, I've been noticing that, that, that they've been repeating outfits. Samantha and Darren are staring up at a billboard for Caldwell Soup that uses Darren's final campaign. Caldwell Soup, which we assume is a canned soup, correct? Correct. There's a beautiful man and woman sitting at a table with a white linen tablecloth and a very ornate silver soup kettle, like a tureen. Yes. Where you would expect a butler to ladle the soup in. Yes, it's it's some fine silverware there. <laughs> And can you imagine somebody dumping out condensed Campbell tomato soup into a fine silver soup tureen? Well, and if you put that soup tureen in the microwave, it would just explode. (laughs) (laughs) Molly, it's time for our signature segment. Can we forgive Darren? Can you forgive Darren today, Molly? Can we or will we? (laughs) Or may we? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely no, not. No, no, no to all <laughs> options. He's horrible. <laughs> There's nothing good about Darren in this episode. No, and I was so looking forward to coming back to Bewitched because we're freeing ourselves from the shackles, from that millstone of I Dream of Genie, from that albatross, from that monkey on our back that was so full of rampant sexism. But right now, the sexism of Genie, which was a lot of cheesecake, a lot of jiggle action, the sexism that's at work on this episode is a little bit more disturbing and also feels a lot more real. It's that sexism that demands that women pretend to be less than what they are. New cow. New couch. couch. (laughs) No, no, new couch. Stop. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I still enjoy watching this show more than I enjoy watching Jeannie. This episode, though, really illustrates the worst of Darren. Although, to be fair, the previous episode that we did about Mr. Barker, It Shouldn't Happen to a Dog, was really the worst of Darren. This is the second worst of Darren, right? Because uh, Sam, in that case, was being assaulted by somebody. Here, she just came up with an idea that's being devalued. So at least we had Endora in this episode. She was the voice of reason. She almost always is the voice of reason. Not every time. Sometimes she's wacky. But here, the things that she was saying were really true. Agreed. So we're happy to go to our new segment, which are comments from our loyal listeners. The first comment is from James. This is episode six, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, My Hero. I might be giving Jeannie too much credit, but there's a part of me that wonders if the inciting incident was a shot across the bow to Darren's advertising career in Bewitched. Jeannie says the only reason she went shopping in the first place was because an ad told her so. Oh, so clever, James. It's true. You know, actually, that's something (laughs) that even when I went back and listened to that episode, I thought we should have taken a moment to comment on the fact that uh, I feel part of Jeannie's dumbness is that she'll do whatever any man tells her to do, including a man on TV. Yeah. 
Jeannie is Darren's customer. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> He's so brilliant. He can fool the likes of Jeannie into buying stuff. So the next comment is from Julie, who says, Molly has it exactly right. Jeannie can do anything and nothing. What a stark contrast Jeannie is to Samantha. Frank and Molly do a skillful job in bringing the absurdity of this episode to life. I found myself audibly gasping more than once listening to Frank and Molly recount the lowlights of episode six. Thoroughly enjoying. Thanks, Julie. I really like that line that you had as well. That, that, that was a great, great comment. That oh, when, yeah. you, when you want her to do something, she can't do anything. And when you don't want her to do something, she seems to have seismic powers. Oh, yeah, that's true. And it was a great observation. I thought that was Thank awesome. You. Thank you. It was probably the whiskey talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next comment from Elizabeth Kim. I know Elizabeth Kim. So excited that she's listening to our podcast. Episode six, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered podcast, My Hero. Elizabeth says, I can never look at Larry Hagman the same. What an oaf. I can't decide who's more pathetic, him or Darren. Keep up the witty and scathing podcasts. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks, Elizabeth. That's awesome. So uh, who is more pathetic, Larry Hagman or Darren? I'm so infuriated with Darren at this moment that it's a bit of an unfair question. I would have to say Darren. I'm going to disagree. Oh, wow. Excellent. I think that Larry Hagman, a.k.a. Master... (laughs) is actually, in the end, I believe we'll find him to be more despicable. So Darren actually loves Samantha. Tony Nelson tolerates Jeannie. So to be fair, they're both very despicable. (laughs) But uh, I'm interested to see what we think of Larry Hagman after a little bit longer. Indeed. Okay, so then you are committed to returning to I Dream of Genie eventually. Oh, God. <laughs> you I you said it. To that? <laughs> yes. You know, I think, Frank, that you are wooed by the sex appeal of Larry Hagman into thinking that he's a nicer person than he is. I, it might be entirely possible. I have to admit that I'm susceptible to the beefcake. Yep. Dick York, God bless him, <laughs> was not a handsome man. Nope. To anybody of any gender no. or persuasion no. or orientation. No, bad teeth, a little sallow, kind of skinny, a lot of brill cream. He just was not a handsome man. Scary cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to vote Hagman, but I think we should have an episode that's like a despicable off. Ooh, nice. You know, <laughs> where we play their worst moments. Yeah, it could be our own clip show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it can be a duel. <laughs> we'll each have clips. We'll each have like four clips. Okay, you have to listen to yourself. You really are committing to watching I Dream of Genie. <laughs> In order for you to get your way, you're going to have to watch a lot more I Dream of Genie than you feel comfortable with. Don't you think the listeners would like it, though? I think it they would love so it. It sounds so fun. It does. It does. Oh, maybe some sort of a contest. We could ask for suggestions. Oh, this is genius, because then I don't have to watch every episode. Let's ask our listeners to send in, in the comments, 
the worst moments of Darren and Larry Hagman. You must cite the season and episode numbers for Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie as you state your case. You know, I think that idea that I just came up with was so brilliant (laughs) that I could have actually worked for Darren's agency. (laughs) And I suspect that you use witchcraft. (laughs) Well, that's for you to find out. (laughs) Oh, I think I hear the music. Must be time for us to go. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, and that you join us again next week for another episode of Bewitched. In the meantime, check out the other shows on the Piwacket Network. The Brothers Grimmer with Bert and Frank. And A Breed Apart with Dr. Kate and Stephen. Well, until next time. Until next time. Bothered and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. Help, help, don't save me. Let me try again. Help, help, don't save me. Help, help, don't save me. That sounds good. Stop talking while I'm doing it. Okay, let me try one more. <laughs> no, but remember that I can always cut myself out. It's, it's only oh, you on can. your side. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. so we're. we're... <laughs> someone was, you know, someone was admiring the other day in a text I got, like, it's so nice that you and Molly, like, wait for each other to speak and you're never talking over each other. And you and I talk over each other all the time. That's just the magic of editing. Yes. That I make us sound considerate and patient and waiting for each other to finish speaking. <laughs> I don't know if it's that I'm getting old, but I find myself talking over people all the time <laughs> at work. At work, I do it all the time, and I'm like, oh, Molly, please just wait until they're finished. <laughs> but they're so slow. <laughs> and I can't wait. No, I do the just same. Just becoming impulsive like my dad. No, yeah. no, no. I, I, I do the same. I'm also uh, impatient with the whippersnappers. Yeah. Oh, it's I can't my- bother to hear the end of your story. I'd like to interject with the start <laughs> of mine right now. Um... <laughs>